Before the carols and the candles. Before the trees, before the lights. Before the tables are set and the meals are made. Before we open our arms to welcome a new Christmas season, let's not forget to stop and prepare. But not for the parties, and not for the presents. This year, let's stop and prepare our hearts for the real reason we celebrate. Good morning, good morning, church, and Merry Christmas. I love this time of year, and I love that we get to be together and celebrate the Christ of Christmas. We're in a great series called Christmas Welcome Jesus, and I love that because, you know, Christmas in our culture has become about a lot of things, but, but not about Jesus. Jesus kind of gets left out of the picture, right? We have a lot of things that are going on, a lot of things that are happening around us. We've got our Christmas shopping, we've got our Christmas movies, we've got our Christmas songs, and we've got, you know, ugly sweaters and Starbucks drinks and, you know, all the kind of things that go along with the holidays at Christmas. And sometimes you kind of go and get busy or doing a bunch of stuff and you wake up and you go, wait a minute, where's Jesus? Right? I mean, like, there's a lot of things that are happening and it's great and it's fun and it's wonderful. But when we're singing songs like Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer, we're kind of like, I don't know where Jesus is in any of this equation. But at some point, we need to respond and say, where's the Christ of Christmas? And we want to be people who celebrate Christ at Christmas. We want to be people who have fun and enjoy it. But man, we want to give praise because Christ has come. Amen? I mean, Christ has come, Emmanuel, God with us, and our world is, will never be the same. And our lives will never be the same. And we want that joy of Christmas. I saw an article in USA Today, and it says this. It said, Americans see more jingle than Jesus. And, and here's what the article was talking about. It says, just three years ago, three years ago, right, 51% of U.S. adults said Christmas for them is more a religious holiday than a cultural one. But that has slipped to 46% in the new Pew survey released Tuesday. So three years and a 5% drop, okay? So kind of you do trend lines in your mind. You can kind of see where that's going, where that's headed. But, but just think about that. That 51% three years ago thought Christmas was a religious holiday, right? About Jesus. Uh, but now it's only 46%. So that means 54% think it's just culture. And neither does this trend trouble most people. Only 32% says it bothers them even somewhat. I mean, it's like, okay, that's fine. It is great. We'll have a lot of fun. We're going to do a lot of great things. We'll, you know, be with a lot of family, with a lot of friends. But here's the implications. Here's the implications. The article goes on and says, the survey also finds a striking shift in the overall share of people down 65% in 2014 to 57% today, so that's an 8% drop, who believe four key elements of the biblical nativity story. So it's saying, okay, think about the ramifications here. Here's four key elements. Number one element, Jesus was born to a virgin. Used to be 73% of people believe that. Now 66% of people believe that. And yet that's a big deal, right? We talked about a few weeks ago that Jesus conceived by the Holy Spirit but born of a virgin. That's important because Jesus was sinless. And when Jesus died on the cross, God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus didn't have original sin. The virgin birth is essential to our faith. It's important, right? And there's another one. It said this, the baby Jesus was laid in a manger. That's down from 81% to 75%. You can read Luke 2 on that, right? And then this, you can see the shepherds. It talks about this other statistic, if you keep going. An angel announced the birth of Jesus to shepherds. That's down from 74% to 67%. And then the last one on this slide, wise men guided by a star brought Jesus gifts from 75% down to only 68% of people believe that. We're going to see that today. But what this says to us is this, is that we live in a culture that loves Christmas. We do. We have a culture that loves Christmas. We love 
decorating. We decorate everything, right? The inside of our house, the outside, even our cars. We decorate everything. And every year we kind of step it up, right? We got to decorate a little bit now, and then we're going to we're gonna add this, we're going to add this, we're going to get Clark Griswold pretty soon, you know? That's how you, we're going all out. But, but do we have a culture or do we have a heart or do we have a home that celebrates Christ at Christmas? I mean, after all, Christ is in the name, right? It's Christmas. It's Christmas. And taking Jesus out of Christmas is like taking thanks out of Thanksgiving, right? It was Thanksgiving, and we removed the thanks. And, and what we end up with, though, is a culture when we just have Christmas filled with a lot of activities and a lot of parties and a lot of shopping, is we end up at the end of the time on December 26, and we're tired, and we're exhausted, and we're worn out, and we're overspent, and we're in debt, and we're stressed, and we're thinking, what just happened to me? But when we meet Jesus, <laughs> when we meet Jesus at Christmas, see, that's where there's joy. That's where there's peace. That's where there's hope. That's where there's life. And that's Christmas. And that's why we want to say to everybody, hey, hey Christmas, Christmas, Christmas is fine to have a lot of fun, but, but welcome Jesus because he's the one we need. He's the hope that we have. He's God breaking into this world and saying, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is here. And that's really what Christmas is all about. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you over with me to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. New Testament, first book, New Testament. Now, if you don't have a Bible, back at those polls, we got some free Bibles. Love to give you a Bible. Uh, you can just grab one, put your name in it. It's yours. Uh, also, we'll put the scripture on the screen. You can follow along with what God's Word has to say as we see uh, God's word come to life today, I pray. Now, Matthew is the hinge of the Bible. You got the Old Testament, and in the Old Testament, right, it talks about how we've sinned, man's sinned, and we've messed up, and you got a holy God and sinful man, but God didn't give up on man. Praise be to God. And when you and I sin, God doesn't give up on us. And so the whole Old Testament is about God redeeming his people and God calling out his people so that a Messiah will come the Savior of all. And so everything in the Old Testament is pointing to the Messiah, the Messiah. And we come into Matthew, and Matthew is an eyewitness. Matthew was one of Jesus' disciples. He followed Jesus around for three years. He was with Jesus. He saw Jesus healing people and, and saw the miracles that Jesus did. He was with Jesus when Jesus was crucified. And then he, he saw as he was resurrected. He was a part of the early church. So we got an eyewitness account of what happened. And Matthew was a former tax collector. He was a business guy. He was probably pretty wealthy, made some good money. But then when Jesus came along, he says, wait a minute, this isn't satisfying. I want to go with Jesus. I want to follow him. And now he's writing back to the Jewish people, his own people. And he's going, guys, don't miss him. The Messiah is here. It's Jesus. And so Matthew chapter one starts off with this whole genealogy, 42 generations. And Matthew's going, look, Jesus he was going to be the son of David, you know, King David in the Old Testament. He's also going to be the seed of Abraham. And here he is, 42 generations. It comes down to this. And then verse 18, he says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. And he talks about Jesus, the divinity of Christ, conceived of the Holy Spirit, the humanity of Christ, born of a woman, son of God, son of man. You will call him Jesus Jesus' name literally means salvation. <laughs> you will call him Jesus. Wow. And then we come to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. Now, we don't know exactly how long after is. I mean, probably six months, maybe a year or something like that. But this is after, you know, Jesus was born uh, by Mary in the stable, and now they're living in Bethlehem for a little while. They didn't want to take a newborn and travel 80 miles back up to Nazareth, and they're probably staying with relatives, and they're there, and they're in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem is the town of David, which the Messiah would come from the line in the house of David. Bethlehem, I love this, Bethlehem. It, it literally means house of bread. Now think about this, the bread of life <laughs> coming from the house of bread. There he is, you know. But here it is. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, it says, during the time of King Herod. During the time of King Herod. Now, Herod was the king of this area of Judea. 
The Roman Empire kind of ruled the whole area, right? They were over the Roman Empire, basically over the world at this time. And you got Caesar Augustus, who's the, the grand poopah. He's the big leader. He's over everything. He thinks he's deity. He thinks he's a god. And then he has these different kings over these different regions. And Herod is the guy who's put in charge over Judea. And he becomes the king at around 37 B.C. And Herod was a master builder. This guy could build anything. Amazing architect. You know, and so he rebuilt right, the temple that endeared him to the Jews. Herod was a smart guy. He knew when the Greeks kind of conquered the world. Remember Alexander the Great conquered the world, and then he cried because there's no more uh, lands to conquer. Uh, but they conquered this area, and then they desecrated the temple. They tried to Hellenize the Jews. And the Jews were like, hey, we'll speak your language, but we're not going to worship your gods. We only have one true God. And when they desecrated the temple, the Jews revolted, the Maccabean Rebellion. Remember that? And they drove the Greeks out. So now the Romans come in, and Herod's like, hey, these people are pretty passionate about their God. I'm going to, like, rebuild their temple and let them worship, and I'm going to try to keep them happy. And so sure enough, he does that, and, and the people liked him for that, but the people still resented him because he shouldn't be the rightful heir to the throne, right? I mean, he is an outsider, and now he's sitting there on the throne. And it says, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, these Magi guys, these guys are like royalty. And they're coming from Persia or Arabia. We see Magi, and it kind of triggers in our mind, you know, magicians. But, but really, that's, that's not it at all. These guys were astronomers. They were priests. They were royalty. And they're traveling with a caravan. I mean, they're coming into town. And they're making an entrance, okay? I mean, they're rolling in on their camels. They got their servants. They got their slaves. And they're coming in, and they're asking this question, you know, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. So this whole caravan, this processional comes in to Jerusalem, and they're going, hey, where is the king of the Jews? Herod's like, uh... That's me. <laughs> I don't know who you guys are rolling in looking for, but that's me. You know, and they're going, no, 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 no. We saw his star. It rose up. We know he's been born, and we're looking for him. Now, back then, astrology was a big deal, right? I mean, you watch the stars, and you can see the stars, and, and we don't know what exactly they saw. You know, we know Halley's Comet came by 11 BC. We know that there was an alignment of Saturn and Jupiter and Mars around 6 BC that they say was spectacular. Uh, but we know that God, God who is the creator of the heavens and the earth, has a star. And he says, hey guys, you're astronomers, check this out. He puts a star up there and they're like, we saw it. We're coming to worship. We want to be there. We want to see what God's doing in the world. Where is he who was born the king of the Jews? Now, also, let me kind of set the stage, too, because back then, there was this prevailing thought that a great leader was going to rise up. I mean, the Jews, right, were looking forward to the Messiah. You can go to, you know, Daniel chapter 9 and all the prophecies that were saying it would be around this time. But also, if you read Roman historians, they knew that there was going to be a leader that would come out of Judea. There was this, this prevailing thought in the world that somebody great was going to rise up, they would overthrow the Romans, and so everybody in the world was kind of on edge, like, hey, what's getting ready to happen? What's going on? And so picture the scene. These guys coming into town, you know, asking, hey, where is he born king of the Jews? And if you go to the next verse, it says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. Now here's the thing about King Herod. Master builder, incredible. I mean, you can go and see the Rodian and all these different things that he built. But he was also insanely suspicious. This guy, like, I mean, anybody who, like, threatened him, they're gone. I mean, it was just like, that's it. They're done. Like, like he killed his own son, his oldest son. He killed two more of his sons. He killed his favorite wife. And then he regretted killing her. And so, like, he propped her up, like, at the dinner table for, like, two weeks. I mean... That's freaky weird, okay? <laughs> like, hey, honey, can you pass that? Oh, sorry. <laughs> I mean, like, what do you do? It's just like, it's weird, 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 weird dude. I mean, like, he killed his mother-in-law. He killed anybody around. You know, Caesar Augustus said this. He said, it's, it's safer to be one of Herod's pigs than one of Herod's sons. 
Okay, that, that kind of gives you an idea about this guy. So he is disturbed. All Jerusalem is disturbed with him because they know, like, some heads are going to roll. I mean, this is like, you're not going to go, well, I'll just give you one more little insight into Herod. When he was getting ready to die, he moved down to Jericho. He had a palace down in Jericho, which was, you know, the oldest city in the world, most beautiful city. It's, it's beautiful down there. And so he moves down there to his palace, and he knows nobody's going to cry for him when he dies. And so he says this, since nobody's going to shed tears for me, when I die, I want you to round up 70 of the leaders in Jerusalem and have them killed at the same time because I want tears to be shed. That gives you a little insight into this guy. Now, we know after he died, his officials didn't do that. You can go back and read history, and, and they, they said, hey, we got the order, but we're not going to do it. You're dead. doesn't matter. You know, you know? So they didn't round up these guys and kill them. But everybody's like on edge. I mean, they're going, whoa, what's going on? This huge caravan, these wealthy people, they're getting an audience with him. And so Herod, he comes along and he calls the chief priest and the teachers of the law, and he asks them, where's the Messiah to be born? So he goes to the guys who are the scholars in the Old Testament, and he goes, guys, I, I need to know when the Messiah is going to be born. What's interesting, isn't it, that they rolled into town asking, where is he, the king of the Jews, and Herod knew it's the Messiah. He's here. It's the Messiah. And the chief priests and the scribes, they go, hey, that's easy. In Bethlehem, verse 5, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So they knew. I mean, this prophecy was written in Micah 5.2, written hundreds of years before, and they knew. It's out of Bethlehem. That's where it is. Now, Bethlehem is only five miles from Jerusalem. Bethlehem is only five miles from Jerusalem. Well, then Herod called the Magi secretly, and he found out from them the exact time the star appeared. So he's like, okay, Bethlehem. Now, when did you see that star exactly? When is that? So he's putting the time together, the place together. And he sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, Go and search carefully for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. Now, did Herod want to go worship him? No. He wanted to kill him, right? So he's like, hey, you guys go check it out, and just let me know, and, and come right back to me. Well, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose ahead, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Guys, I think this is so amazing. You know what? God is drawing people to himself. And God is speaking in a way that these magi understand. He's going, hey, check this out. Here's the star. I'm going to lead you right to him. You know what? I'm so glad you're here today. I mean, maybe you're here today because we wrapped your gift at the mall, at the wrapping station. I sure hope we did a great job. But you know what? I'm really glad that you came. I'm, maybe you're here today because a friend invited you. Maybe you've been coming off and on for a while. But I want you to know this. It's not the invitation of any of us that brought you here today. It's God himself. And God has been drawing you to himself. God has a plan and a purpose for you. And he wants you to meet Jesus. He wants you to meet Jesus. And these guys, they see the star stopping over the house where the child was. And when they saw the star they were overjoyed. They were like, yes! We've been on this trek for hundreds of miles. We've been riding on camels, and we've come to see this child. Here's the joy of Christmas. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. I mean, can you imagine Mary and Joseph? They're just some little bitty shack right there. You know, they got Jesus. And all of a sudden, this processional comes up, and these guys get off their camels, and they come down to their six-month-old or one-year-old baby, and they start bowing down to worship. Mary and Joseph would be like, whoa. Now, I have a feeling, I have a feeling for Mary and Joseph that was like, thank you, God. Because we were wondering, did we really have the Son of God? I mean, I mean, wouldn't it be in a palace? Wouldn't we be somewhere else? And now here we are six months later, a year into this, and it just seems like a normal baby. And, and now, just that affirmation. Thank you, God. Well, these guys, they bow down to worship, and then they open their treasures. And they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
We don't know how many magi. The Bible never says, you know, there were only three magi. Uh, early church fathers thought there were 12. Um, we always think three because they had three gifts, right? The gold, frankincense, and the myrrh. But what we see is with the gifts, they're saying this is who God's son is. And they gave gold. And gold was a gift for a king. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. They gave frankincense. Frankincense was expensive, but it was used by the priests. It was used for worship. And they're saying, here he is. He's the great high priest. He's the one who will build a bridge between God and man. Here he is. And then they gave myrrh. And myrrh is an interesting gift to give to a baby because myrrh was used for embalming, okay? I mean, myrrh is like when you're dying, like, hey, here's a baby gift, you know, right here. I mean, like, you don't really do that. But, but they did. And myrrh was super expensive. But what they're saying is, here, here's the one who will pay the price and die for us. The Savior of the world. The gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. They, they tell us who God's son is. King of kings, Lord of lords, the great high priest, our intercessor, our savior, redeemer, God with us. And they worshiped. They worshiped him. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by a different route. So what can we learn from these wise men? If you're taking notes today, you want to write some things down, you can. It's in your worship guide. But what do we learn from these wise men? I think there's five things we learned. Number one is this. The gospel is for all people. The gospel is for all people. Guys, that is awesome. Because see, the Jews, they just thought the gospel was for them. <laughs> they just thought the Messiah was coming for them. But here we see God, when Jesus is born, saying, oh no, not just for you, I'm going to put a star in the sky so that everybody can see it. And even some guys that are hundreds of miles away are going to come and worship me. Hey, you, you think about the two groupings of people that were there at Jesus' birth, right? You got shepherds, Luke chapter 2, the angel appears, and the shepherds hurried off, and they come, and they worship Jesus. Now, shepherds back then, these guys, they would have been like, you know, kind of uneducated, hardworking. These are kind of the, the menly men these are the guys that are making it happen. They're feeding their families. They're taking care of everybody around. But they were a little bit on the outside looking in. You know, I mean, they, they weren't like the upper level social class of the day. And then you got these magi. These guys are wealthy. I mean, right? They're bringing gold to a baby. I mean, these guys are traveling in and the king's coming out to see them. I mean, these, these guys, like on a different level, they're highly educated, wealthy, affluent, They've got all this stuff. And you look at these two groupings that are there at Jesus' birth, and you go, wow, the gospel is for all people. I mean, for the Magi, he is the king of kings and lord of lords. And for the shepherds, he is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Isn't it awesome to think about that God came to you it doesn't matter about your socioeconomic status. It doesn't matter about your race or your gender. It doesn't matter about what you've done in the past or what you haven't done. That there is equal footing at the foot of the cross. That God made a way for every one of us to experience him. And God is drawing us to himself. God's inviting us into his story. In Galatians chapter 3, it says this, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Praise God. And that is awesome. So maybe you came in today and you kind of thought you were on the outside looking in. Maybe you thought, I don't know enough about the Bible. Maybe, you know, I've done some things in the past. I don't know where I am. But I want to tell you this, though. There is a God who is drawing you to himself. And there's a God who is saying, I love you and the gospel is for you. It's also a warning and a challenge to us, I think, too, that sometimes we can think, well, it's all about me. <laughs> God's going, no, it's about everybody. I love, you know, that person in your family just as much as I love you. I love that person in your neighborhood or that coworker that maybe you can't stand. I love them just as much as I love you. I love that person in another country just as much as I love you. 
And for us as God's children, man, that we have a love for God and we have a love for others. The gospel is for all people. The second thing you see this is this, is that Jesus is worthy of our pursuit. Jesus is worthy of our pursuit. I mean, these guys, they went hundreds of miles. They left their family, they left their friends, they left their palace, they left their life of luxury. They said, hey, you know what? Jesus is worth it. We're going. We want to go and see what God is doing. I've often thought, why wouldn't the chief priest and the scribes and the teachers of the law travel the five miles down to Bethlehem? You ever thought that? Like they knew the prophecies, didn't they? I mean, they immediately, when King Herod says, hey, guys, where, where's the Messiah going to be born? They were like, hey, Micah 5-2, it's easy, Bethlehem, right there. I mean, why wouldn't they go, hey, we, we got to go? Maybe they thought in their minds, <laughs> I don't want Jesus to kind of rock my boat. I got my thing going, I got the cultural thing happening, you know, I'm successful, I'm kind of well-known. I, I don't want God coming in and making changes in my life. I like my cultural Christmas. I, I don't really need God kind of coming in and changing some things. But there's these other guys who said, hey, no way. He's worthy of the pursuit because in him is joy, in him is peace, in him is life. I'm coming that way. You know, in our culture, we pursue a lot of things, right? Most people pursue money. I mean, they pursue it. And a lot of people pursue success. A lot of people pursue fame. Even if it's 15 minutes of fame on Instagram, man, they're pursuing it, right? I got to get the right picture, the right place. I got to, I got to, I got to. And we pursue these things or power. I want to have the corner office. I want people looking up to me, and I want to go after this stuff. But I would have to ask us, are we pursuing Christ? Are we pursuing Christ? Are you pursuing Christ in your life? If you were to look at your time and your energy and your attention, is it running after the things of this world or is it running after the things of God? In Jeremiah in the Old Testament, God speaks to the people and he says, hey, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Are we seeking him with our heart? Are we saying, God, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want to worship you. I want to know you. I want to follow you. I want to be a man or a woman after your heart. God, here I am. Here I am. I'm all yours. The next thing we see is this. We see that we can bring our gifts to Jesus. We, we can bring our gifts to Jesus. Now, these guys came in and they, they offered these treasures. All right, here's the gold, the frankincense, the myrrh. But they bowed down and they worshiped him. They worshiped. Now, we can bring our gifts, right? We can bring, you know, our gold, which is our money, our resources. The first tithe we give, the first offering we give, we come back, we want to give that to the Lord. We can do that. But it also, we can do this, our incense, our service, that we can serve, that we can understand what God's doing in the world, that God loves his church and uses his church, that we can serve him. And then also our myrrh, our sacrifice, we could sacrifice our own selfish desires in order to further his kingdom. When you become a Christ follower, as God draws you to himself, when you say, yes, I want to follow Jesus, Jesus is saying, come follow me, he calls us to be baptized, right? And what do you do when you're baptized? You're dying to your old way of life, you're going under the water, and you're being raised to walk a new life. You're being raised to walk a new life. And so when we sacrifice our selfish desires, our selfish dreams, our selfish things, and we put God first, we are offering our gifts to him. We are bringing glory to him. We are furthering his cause in this world. So how, how can you bring your gifts to Jesus? How can you offer gifts to Christ this Christmas? How can you say, Jesus, I want you to be glorified in my life I want you to be glorified through me. The wise men did. They traveled hundreds of miles to do it. What about us? How are we bringing our gifts to Jesus? Number four, if you're taking notes, is this. Experiencing Jesus means our lives will be different. Experiencing Jesus means our lives will be different. These guys met Jesus. 
Then they heard from the Lord, right? And the Lord said, hey, don't go back the same way. Go back a different route. Go back a different way. You should be changed. When we meet Jesus, encountering Jesus means our lives should be different. Our lives shouldn't just look like everybody else in the world. If you're a Christ follower, our lives should be different. There should be a joy and a peace and a hope and a purpose. There should be a difference in the way we spend our time and our energy. There should be a difference in the things that we do because we're followers of Christ. We're followers of him. There ought to be something different in us. So this Christmas, I just want to give you a couple of ideas. How can you prioritize Jesus in your heart, in your home this Christmas? Here's just some practical ideas, some practical thoughts to prioritize Christ in your heart, in your home this Christmas. And some of these you may already do. Some of these you want to write down. Some of these you may say, ah, I don't want to do that. That's okay. But here's some ideas. Here's some thoughts. Number one is this. Maybe before you even open gifts with your family or your roommates or your friends, maybe you just say, hey, let's read the Christmas story. Let somebody read Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. We're just going to kind of read through this. Or we're going to read Luke chapter 2. Let's just talk about the Christ of Christmas. Before we dive into everything else, that's going to be fun. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be exciting. But maybe let's just start there. Or maybe you say, hey, before we eat, before we kind of partake of all the food and all the things, let's just take a time to pray. Or maybe, maybe, maybe you have an Advent calendar. And maybe, maybe you just say, hey, I know I've kind of missed some days, but there's eight days still left at Christmas, and, and I want to take some time, and, and I want to walk through this myself, or I want to walk through this with my family. I've got eight days. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that. Maybe it is, you know, hey, Christmas Eve, I want to be sure that we're here. We want to worship Savior of the world. How can you prioritize Christ this Christmas? How can you think about, I want to bring a gift to him. I want to bring glory to him. I want to do something so that people know, hey, Jesus is worthy of my pursuit. Jesus is worthy of my heart. There's a guy who's been coming to our church for about a, you know, six months or eight months or so, and man, he's had life change. I'm telling you, this guy, he's, he's got this company he's been running, but man, when God got a hold of him, his life has just been radically transformed, and, and he came to me, he's like, Jeff, I want to get baptized. I'm like, yeah, we need to talk about that. And he said, he said this, he goes, you know, last year for our big Christmas party, I gave all my employees Jack Fire. That was my gift. I gave them all Jack Fire. He said, this year, I'm going to give them all a Bible. You know, they're going to be looking at me like, what in the world is going on? You know, like, what happened to you? And I'm like, it's Jesus. I got to tell you guys. He goes, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to do it. And, and I'm like, go for it, man. He goes, well, all of them are asking. They're like, hey, what's going on in your life? Because they're seeing a change in me. And I said, I love that. You're prioritizing Jesus, you don't have to give everybody a Bible. That's okay if you want to, or maybe a book or something. But how can we prioritize Christ this Christmas? And then the last one, number five, is this. Our generosity, our generosity impacts us and others. Our generosity impacts us and others. You know, at Christmas time, it's always about, like, you know, what we get right? In our culture, it's about what we get. And it's funny how we'll go shopping and we'll go like, oh, that's really cute. That'd be great. That'd be great for them, but that'd be better for me. You know, it's like, you know, hey, one for them, two for me. You know, it's like next thing you know, it's like, hey, I, I just went shopping. You know, it's like, it just happens. It's just part of our culture. It kind of falls into the place. But generosity is the only antidote for greed. Generosity is the only antidote for greed. And so this Christmas when we start to think about how can I give to somebody less fortunate? How can I give? How can I make a difference for somebody around me? Because that will impact us. You're probably already thinking about gifts that you can give to your kids or to your grandkids or to the people around you. But give gifts that are going to last. Be generous, but give gifts that are going to point them to Jesus. But your generosity and my generosity also impacts others. It impacts others. And I think about Mary and Joseph here and the encouragement that it must have been when these magi came in. But I also think what happened to them next. And if you keep reading in verse 13, right, Herod, who's so insanely suspicious, issues this terrible edict to kill every baby boy born in Bethlehem, two years old and younger. And the angel comes and says to Mary and Joseph, take Jesus, flee down to Egypt go down there, stay there for two years until Herod dies off, and then I'll bring you back, fulfilling another prophecy that the Messiah would come out of Egypt. But how in the world, think about this, how in the world did Mary and Joseph 
who didn't have jobs in Egypt, really didn't have anybody down there, relatives or anybody, how did they sustain a newborn for two years down in Egypt? God sent them gold, <laughs> frankincense, and myrrh. God was meeting that need before they ever knew they needed it. And God's doing the same thing in your heart and your life. And maybe you look around and you go, God, do you understand what's going on? God, do you understand what I'm facing? God, God's going, I got it. I'm telling you right now, you hold on to me. You trust me. You fall in love with me. You prioritize me. You worship me. That's where life happens. That's where joy comes. That's where peace comes. You hold on to me. And I think for Mary and Joseph, it was just like, wow, God, thank you. God with us, Emmanuel. Guys, I, th I think for most of us, we spend a lot of our lives looking down, don't we? We spend a lot of our lives looking down, we're looking here, we're just looking, and, and all these things we're just looking at. And we're looking on Instagram, and we're comparing ourselves to others. And our worth and our identity many times is kind of wrapped up in all that. Or we're looking on Pinterest and comparing our Christmas to how everybody else's Christmas is going. And, and I want to encourage you this Christmas, instead of spending all the time looking down, would you look up? <laughs> would you look up to the one who put a star in the sky? Look up to the one who created the heavens and the earth. Look up to the one who's been drawing you to himself and saying, hey, find your worth and your identity in me. You are loved. In fact, I love you so much, I'm going to send my one and only son. That's how much I love you. If you ever wonder what you're worth, if you ever wonder if you are valued, think about the God of the universe giving up his one and only son for you. That's Christmas. That's why we worship Jesus. That's where the joy and the hope and the peace and the fulfillment comes. Christmas. Welcome, Jesus. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. I don't know where you are today, but I know this, God is here. God is here in this place. God is here in this moment. I'm going to ask some of our A6 men and, and their spouses maybe just to move to the sides. If you want somebody to pray with you this morning, there's going to be people on the sides. If you want to just kind of slip out from where you are, you can go and they'll, they'll just put a hand on your shoulder and they'll pray over you. And maybe you're here today and, and things are tough. You know, at Christmas time, when things are good, they're really good. When things are hard, they're really hard. And maybe you're in a tough season and you just want somebody to pray over you and just say, hey, there's a God who's with you. There is a God who's for you. You are not alone. Maybe right where you sit, you just need to say, God, thank you. I spend a lot of my life looking down. <laughs> I spend a lot of my life comparing myself to others, but... But today I know that you are here, you are with me, you have drawn me to be with you. So meet me in this moment, oh God. Uphold me, God, with your mighty right arm. Be my strength, be my joy, be my peace. God, I wanna experience you this Christmas. So Father, here we are, your disciples today. And we've come today to meet you, the Christ of Christmas, Emmanuel, God with us. Father, I know our lives are busy and they're crazy, but Father, don't let us miss you. Draw our hearts close to yours. Let us find our worth and our identity in who you say we are, that we are a son or a daughter of the King of kings and Lord of lords that you are our great high priest, that you, Father, have made a way for us to have eternal life through your Son, Jesus. Oh, God, fill us with joy and fill us with peace today. Let us be Christmas people every day because Christ has come. 
He wasn't just born 2,000 years ago. He is alive and well every day in our hearts and our lives. So to you, be glory forever and ever. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Christmas. In your name we pray, amen, amen, amen. After this service, there'll be people down here. We'd love to talk with you and pray with you and just continue a time of worship. Man, it's a holy moment, isn't it? I mean, Christmas is just a holy moment. When God came near, because God loves you. God loves you. This time, I want to invite our ushers to come forward. It's a chance for us to give back, a chance for us to invest in God's kingdom and for God's glory. And Hey, these magi had a chance to give, and we do too. And I just want to encourage you about that. But also, if you're a first-time guest, all I'm going to ask is just give us your communication card. We could follow up with you and tell you what God's doing in and through his church. It is so amazing. I love it. I just see God moving all the time. And God answering prayers and transforming lives. If you've got a prayer request, drop that in the basket as well. And these amazing volunteers, men and women, will be coming by in just a moment. So let me say a short prayer for us right now. We'll have a chance to give. God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Everything we have comes from you. (laughs) Our hope, our life, our salvation, our joy, our peace, our food, everything comes from you. And God, I thank you for meeting us in this moment. I thank you for allowing us to be able to give back and to worship. And I pray that you'll take what is given, multiply it, and use it, that we can share the gospel that's for everyone. And God, I pray that all the prayer requests that'll be in these baskets, God, meet these needs and answer these prayers. And God, I pray that you would do it in a way that people would say, only God, (laughs) only God. So thank you, Father, for your presence, and thank you for a chance for us to respond. In the name of Jesus, we pray, we give. Amen, amen.
job. Great job. I love it. Guys, tonight it's Sounds of Christmas. It is amazing. It's my wife's favorite thing of the year is coming tonight and being here. And uh, Leo and Danielle wrote that song. And man, it is just going to be an awesome time with our worship team. So don't miss tonight. Be back here. It's kind of a dress up. It's going to be just a really, really amazing, amazing, amazing Christmas show. You want to be a part of that. And then next weekend, don't forget Christmas Eve. And so we got Christmas Eve Eve and then Eve, but they're all the same. So all seven services. So seven services. Wow. Pray for us on that. Okay. <laughs> That's a lot. But I will tell you this, that people will come Christmas Eve that won't come any other time of the year. So just invite people in your workplace, in your neighborhood, your extended family. Say, hey, come on, come with us. And it is, it is amazing. I mean, candlelight and it's perfect. So come back next week. Also, we've got High School Connect. If you've got a high school student, come over here and meet Brandon. If you're new here, there's a Next Steps. There's a new here booth right out in the gallery. And I am so glad that you're here today. And a cool gobo. Way to go. I like your gobo. That's awesome. Way to go, Brandon. All right, let's stand together and let me pray a blessing over us. And then let's go out and have an awesome week, right? I mean, we're eight days away from Christmas. Don't mean to stress you out, but it's coming. But have fun. I mean, man, it ought to be a time of joy and a time of peace. So let's experience that. Father, Father, thank you. Just bless everybody here, God, and help us be men and women after your heart. Help this season to be deep and rich and full of joy and peace. And help us to be Christmas people every day. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Thanks for being here. Have a great week. God bless.